This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Place to be, nah, dude, come over here, this where it's at. Yo, 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 place to be is on my side, dude, because you don't want to be the target when I fly the coop. Nah, place to be is on my side, dude, because you don't want to be the target when I fly the coop. Buenos dias. Man, man, man. We call it the, uh, the place to be. Place to be. Then I shall be. It is contagious. It is the place to be. And we are live each and every Monday. To do, to, to do worse than Josh Richard. Place to Be Nation proudly presents a powerful pair of pro wrestling pundits. It's JT Rosero and Scott Criscolo. And this is the Place to Be Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the one and only Place to Be Podcast. I'm your co-host, Joseph Rosero. I'm with you live here on this Monday evening inside the PTBN studios alongside my PIC, Mr. Scott Criscolo. Scott, how are you? Good evening, JR. Pleased to be Wrestling Network loyalists. Welcome to episode 616, the longest running episodic of the fucking gold standard. 616 must be an area code somewhere. It's not 619, although maybe it is close Soon. to San Diego. Close to San Diego. Uh, JR, how are you? Did you have a nice uh, Thanksgiving? Uh, I did. It was good seeing you, of course. We had a yes. good time. Got the guys together. Watched some did. Survivor Series action. So a little Providence basketball. So yeah, we did. It was fun. It was fun as always, yes. And we are now into the, uh, we're heading into the throes of uh, December. Uh, and you know what that means. Uh, we will have our annual Christmas Eve tradition, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But... We have a fun show tonight, and we have a fun gentleman joining us as part of the triad. Who do we got tonight, Jer? Gentleman's the word I would think of when I think of this guy, but he is my co-host on 9021 No So. He is also a co-host of many other podcasts across all of our great networks. That is my friend and yours, Mr. Tim Cable. Tim, how are you? Hello, Tim. I'm doing pretty good. Hey, guys. Uh, it's a pleasure to be cybering with you all um on this monday you couldn't have planned it better cyber sunday on cyber monday look at us <laughs> that's very fitting <laughs> yes that's true yes and it's all uh, long sorry. con planned yeah, all the way really back is. 2011 yeah. just to have this episode tonight all these it's years quite unfortunate uh tim that uh bret hart is not in any of the votes so that's a shame mm, yeah well, can't no bread no bread heart no bread heart promos the cyber uh, sunday <laughs> click on the mouse on <laughs> well, the screen <laughs> Well, we are here tonight to talk about Cyber Sunday 2008 as we continue to move through the year 2008. But before we do that, Scott, as we always do in this show, we're going to head back in time to 1994 to talk about our vintage pop culture corner. And vintage pro wrestling history this day in 2008. Yes, we'll get get to the pop culture in a little bit. Let's let's first go and see what was going on on this date wrestling-wise in uh, 1994. Uh, WWF did not have a show on this night. However, on the next day, October 27th, uh, 1994, there was a press conference that WWF had in Hartford 
uh, announcing that uh, rest in, in concert with the Special Olympics World Games in 1995, WrestleMania 11 will be Sunday, April 2, at the Hartford Civic Center. So that was on the, that was one day after October 27th, 1994. If you want to use the World Games as an excuse, feel free. It's probably because <laughs> the product was not great and they probably mm-hmm. wanted an easy, a safe place to do a sellout. So that was probably about your backyard's about as safe as you can get. So, um, so there we go. That was the next day. Uh, WCW, uh, obviously they were uh, three days past Halloween Havoc, which of course was the uh, Flair Hogan cage match Havoc. So. Uh, the roster went, or most of the roster, I'm sure the main eventers didn't, uh, the roster went to uh, Japan for some shows. So on this date, October 26th, 1994, w- the WCW was in Miyazaki, Japan. Steve Willie's going to love me reading these. All right, here we go. Tatsuhito Takawa defeated Tokamitsu Ishizawa. Uh, Yuji Nagata defeated Black Cat. Hiro Saito defeated El Samurai. Road Warrior Hawk and Kensuke, uh, Kensuke Sasaki uh, defeated Tadao Yasuda and Yoshiaki Yatsu. Was that the, what was it called? Power Power Doom 5000? Or what the fuck were they called? Is this them? Yeah, I think so. No, wasn't it? Was it Sasaki that was with Hawk? Okay, they were called yeah, like, that, I don't know. Yeah, it was something yeah. like that. The um, Power and Black Cat, I believe, that was Eddie Guerrero, wasn't it? Am I off on that? Uh, was it him, Tim? 94? Mm. I don't know why I thought uh, it was him. I'm not confident enough to say. Maybe not. Yeah, no. I don't know. No, because he, he, he might have I thought he wrestled as Black Cat somewhere. I mean, it sounds well, familiar. Well, he was Tiger. He was, a, he was a Tiger Mask, I think, right, later. But I th- I don't yeah. know if he was in, I don't know if he was in AAA, because he'd be in WCW, he'd be in ECW within, I don't know, three or four months. No, he, uh, uh uh, you know, he wrestled right? Black Tiger in New Japan. That's what I got confused with. Oh, Black, Black Tiger. Tiger. Okay. Yeah. When did he, I know you guys did it on the show. When did he hit ECW? Like February or March of 95? Yeah, yeah. Probably? They all come in early, like early. Him and Dean are in there like early 95. Right. So, um, okay. Super Strong Machine and Masa Chono, one of my personal favorites, defeated Ron Simmons and Nail. Nails? Jesus. Seriously? Wow. Fucking hell. Look, if he's still going to be on that WCW payroll, you know, <laughs> send him to Japan. Oh, my God. Uh, this was probably the highlight match. Uh, Tatsumi Fujinami and Yoshiaki Fujiwara defeated Akira Nogami and Takayuki uh, Lizuka. Probably the highlight match. Uh, Hiroshi Hase. Oh, this this is JR's highlight match. Hiroshi Hase and the Great Muda <laughs> defeated Mike Enos and Lord Steven Regal. That's a U team right there, JR. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Perfect. Mm-hmm. And, and in our main event, uh, Manabu Nakanishi and Shinya Hashimoto, who I think was IWGP champion at that moment, uh, defeated Osamu Kido and Scott Norton, who, of course, was always a uh, successful gaiju in uh, Japan. So there you go. There was That was what was going on on this date, October 26th, 1994. Now, JR, let's uh, fire up a little and see what Mr. Coons is doing right now in 1994. All right, Friday, October 14th, 1994. 
The Ric Flair vs. Hulk Hogan storyline continued this past weekend on WCW TV. On a live main event on Sunday night, Hogan and Dave Sullivan faced Ric Flair and a mystery partner. We're to believe the mystery partner is the same mask made who whacked Hogan's knee at the Clash and Sting's the fall brawl, but in this case, it was Bunkhouse Buck. With usual predictability, Hogan allowed no one to get the advantage on him, once again, helping to put Flair over as a legitimate foe. Ah. After the match, another masked man ran in and Hogan's knee was attacked. If he came back from the hospital, Clash and held off Flair, why should we believe that he couldn't recover in two weeks on the pay- for the pay-per-view? The only thing that's been done to cast any doubt on the finish of the Havoc retirement match between Flair and Hogan is somewhat creative footage of Flair and Mr. T on a Chicago street corner. Since Hogan won't do anything to get his foe over, or at least make the finish uncertain, the only weak link that can be played up is T. The footage was rebroadcast this weekend, but never investigated. Bobby Heenan laughs about Flair having an ace in the hole, and Hogan still talks about his friend Mr. T refereeing the match. For what it's worth, the Observer mentioned that Flair was talking about the pay-per-view being his last, and the current plan is to keep Flair around as a commentator and personality, and perhaps lure him out of retirement a year down the road. The pay-per-view will be successful monetarily, but it's really unclear what the cost will be if, in fact, one of the best in-ring performers is forced out of action. Losing a top-notch worker is never good. To balance the news, a lightweight heavyweight tournament is slated to take place in November. Tourney matches airing on Pro and Main Event. The whole shebang is meant to showcase Brian Pillman once again, this time using the link to New Japan and AAA to bring in talent that is more to work a Japanese-style Pillman. Hulk Hogan has no problem with others on the card outshining him, as long as it's clear that he is a heavyweight and they are not. Sports Network, the Canadian Sports Channel, has picked up Raw for broadcast on Wednesday afternoon. The show will air 5 p.m. or air replays on Thursday and Friday at Strange Hours. This will be the first chance for Canadian fans who don't get satellite dishes or don't have satellite dishes to catch the show regularly. Beginning with this week's show, we get a special event center to hype the shows. Segments are hosted by Charlie Min, who I've never heard of before. In fact, he was pretty funny and got me to watch the segments. This will wear off, but I thought he had some good facial gestures. The wrestling on this week's show is hopefully far below the standard which gets this show Best of TV Show year of the Year nominations. Speaking of Raw, we get to see Jerry Lawler unveil his midget sidekick, Queasy. Randy Savage's commentary here was the expected punchline, although we could really take him feeling a little queasy more than one way. Doink hinted that he had a little surprise for Lawler this weekend. No doubt his additional midgets wink and pink to set up Survivor Series. The Warlord, Sergeant Slaughter, and Tito Santana were all backstage at WCW taping recently, all apparently looking for work, but there's no word on whether any of them will be brought in. Spoiler, they're not. One of the three may not be too bad. Halloween Havoc, October 23rd, Hogan versus Flair with Mr. T as the ref. Paul Orndorff and Paul Romo versus Bagel and Patriot. Tag titles with Patriot's mask on the line. Jim Duggan versus Steve Austin for the U.S. title. Johnny B. Bad versus Honky Tonk Man for the TV title. Vader versus Guardian Angel on a strap match. Dustin Rhodes versus Arn Anderson. Nasty Boys versus Terry Funk and Bunkhouse Buck. Dave Sullivan versus Kevin Sullivan. And Muhammad Ali to present the world title belt to the winner, with WCW donating proceeds to the Muhammad Ali Foundation. Terry Funk will work the show, fulfill his other October commitments, and leave the company. Clash of Champions 29 on 11-16. Tentative lineup is Hogan and Sting versus Vader and Kurt Hedding. And Survivor Series on November 23rd, Brent. Hart versus Bob Backlund for the world title. Undertaker versus Yokozuna casket match. Davy Boy Smith, Razor Ramon, the Head Trinkers, and One Two Three Kid versus Jim Neidhart, Owen Hart, Shawn Michaels, Diesel, and Jeff Jarrett. Dink, Wink, Pink, and Doink versus Jerry Lawler, Queasy, Wheezy, and the Little Prince. Lex Luger, Adam Bob, Mabel, and Smoking Guns versus Tatanka, King Kong Bundy, Bam Bam Bigelow, and the Heavenly Bodies. The final match took shape this week on Raw when all but the guns and bodies got involved in a Luger-Bigelow match. Starcade tentative lineup is Hogan versus Vader and Flair versus Sting. Uh, so any quick thoughts on that rousing batch of notes? We go from the little Ooh. prince to cheesy. <laughs> I like that. They go from the little prince to cheesy. It's the last awful. one of Wow. So bad. Well, it's awful. also awful. I mean, Herb paints a much, much rosier picture of a Starcade that could have been in 1994 with, uh, 
you know, a flare sting. It, not that we haven't seen it a million times, but um, be a decent marquee match at least for that show. And then, you know, go ahead and hot shot Hogan Vader, I guess. Um, compared to what we got, wow. Um, especially in comparison to that Havoc card. I mean, really makes the case for what Bischoff has said that Halloween Havoc is is what he considered WCW's signature show um, because that that's a pretty solid Havoc, and uh, I love that Flair Hogan main event pretty uh pretty shamelessly so uh, but that's that's about all i've got on the herb notes hmm. all right october 21st all reports have it that this sunday's halloween havoc will mark the end of rick flair's career at least for the foreseeable future either that or it'll turn out to all this they've done a fantastic snow job and that doesn't happen these days so we should hmm. expect to be graced with flair's final match halloween havoc it's the same card you just talked about uh, we are supposed to expect that former Earthquake John Tenta makes a surprise appearance, getting involved in the main event to set up a feud between Tenta and Hogan. They haven't been swayed from plugging Vader as top contender, so Vader versus Hogan is still planned for Starcade, which pushes Tenta to the new year. I just hope they don't team Vader and Tenta. The repusher Brian Pillman began this past weekend on Saturday night. Shivani mused that it probably wouldn't be too long before Pillman had a belt around his waist. He'll no doubt be the flagship wrestler of the light heavyweight division created next month. The other half of the tag team of the year, the Hollywood Blonde, Steve Austin, is set for a big push. Sherry Martell will be moved to managing Steve. I don't know how Steve can get the push unless he beats Jim Duggan at Halloween Havoc. Overheard on Family Feud while channel surfing. Name a sport people bet on. Wrestling. Yikes. The New York's Heart Attack Tour comes to, comes to Toronto next week. They spent more on advertising this locale I can recall in recent years. Besides the TV ads on the New York Cindy's, they're running radio spots in local stations and print ads in every paper imaginable. David Boy Smith showed up in court to face assault charges stemming from a bar altercation last year. On the evening of July 25th, 1993, while visiting Calgary, Smith is alleged to have been involved in a barroom brawl, ended with the other guy suffering brain damage. Cody Light suffered a fractured skull, lost hearing in one ear, and lost the ability to speak clearly and has memory difficulties. This incident played a role in WCW letting, uh, firing Smith last year, even though the official reason was Smith missed too many dates. Smith immediately hightailed it to England, his work dates there, and said he'd be back to return to face charges when his tour was over. Maybe it's just a bad coincidence, but the past two weeks of Raw, which have only been available on TSN in Canada starting three weeks ago, we've been gifted with highlights of midgets popping out of the woodwork. This hasn't done all that much to convince me I've missed much these last couple of years. Clash of Champions still has Hogan and Sting versus Vader and Hedig, but there's now talk that Hedig may not come in, so who would be the masked man? Survivor Series card still in place. Big surprise to me is the show has not been picked up by my cable company. And Starcade, Hogan, Vader. Pretty uh, basic notes there. Any Any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, this is just that time period, you know, before the days when Randy Savage was going to jump ship from WCW back to the WWF every single week, it was uh, Kurt Henning is going to WCW every single week, right? That was, you know, for God, for years, it seemed like before he finally actually did show up. Um, This is that era that we're in. So, yeah. He's in, he's out, he's in. I guess he's out this week. Mm. Yeah. No, nah, I've got nothing. Just simple Herb stuff. Uh, all right. A week later, there's not much. He actually does a very thorough Ric Flair career retrospective, uh, which I'm not going to read. You can, you can dig it up if you want. Uh, Bret Hart's been talking about leaving wrestling or at least leaving it full time to try his hand at movies. Apparently, he'd even been offered a two-film deal to make a couple of action flicks. It didn't take long after hearing that that WF in all likelihood would move the title off of Bret Hart in the near future. The best guess is not wanting to get the belt to The Undertaker, although Observer reports that WCW wrestler Scuttlebutt is moving to Lex Luger. Of course, we get either of these 
face us through an interim heel. I'd be surprised if they use Bob Backlund, although it's easy to envision a scenario that locks up all the old loose ends of the new generation is playing up these days. Backlund chicken-winging Luger and Savage this Monday on Raw. The Observer reports that Harlem Heat's manager will be named Johnny Attitude. He's described as having a Johnny Polo-type character, but not being nearly as good. <laughs> there you go. I don't think that ever becomes anything. Uh, Clash 29 on November 16th. Tentative lineup is Hulk Hogan and Sting versus Avalanche and Brutus Beefcake. Jim Duggan versus Steve Austin for the U.S. title. Johnny B. Bad versus Honky Tonk Man for the TV title. Vader versus Dawson Rhodes. Sullivan versus Sullivan. Nasty Boys versus Colin Heat. Same Survivor Series card. And then Hogan Vader at Starcade. So that does it for our Herb Notes. Any quick thoughts on uh, Bret Hart's moving on to the Lonesome Dove, perhaps? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think we all know that uh, his his fate would lie in television, not film. I mean, that star-making turn on the Dove is really uh, what we all think of when we uh, when we think about Bret Hart's television career. Bret did do some exceptional uh, audio um Yes. performances here for the PTB Wrestling Network. That's really the... He should have sure. just stuck with that, to be honest with you. you yeah, know? well, great voice actor as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's amazing. Um, I love how we were we, we were leaning heavily on Vader Hogan for Starcade, and then it didn't happen. We'll <laughs> talk more about that happen. down the line. But, uh, yeah, I yeah. can't <laughs> wait to see the disappointment in Herb when they replace Vader with Beefcake. For- <laughs> I know, it's fucking ridiculous. Crazy. <laughs> All right, so that does it for our Herb Coons tidbits, and... That means it's time to continue to live in the past before we head back to the future. And I would say the one thing that you can be sure of with the arrival of Brutus Peacake and WCW is that him and Hulk Hogan continue their ongoing affair of endless love. Endless yeah. love. The two song in the nation here tonight, Luther Vandross and Mariah Carey, Boys to Men, still number one, plays us into Scott Criscolo's Vintage My- Monster Corner for real stuff. There's only you in my life The only thing that's right My first love yeah. You're every breath that I take You're every step I make Great. Thank you, JR. Yes, Voice to Men dominating uh, 12 weeks on the chart, and they've been number one for, for I think, four or five in a row. Endless Love uh, is at number two. And uh, All I Want to Do by Cheryl Crow at number three. Secret by Madonna at four. Tim, any comments on any of these, feel free. Uh, Another Night by The Real McCoy. Na, 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 na. There's an earworm. Uh, number five. <laughs> when Can I See You by Babyface at six. Uh, Never Lie by Immature at seven. At Your Best, You Are Love by Aliyah at 8. Always, that was an earworm, by Bon Jovi at 9. And here comes the hot stepper, uh, Ini Kamose. Kamose? At number 10. Mm-hmm. So, Which is uh, very timely because it was also Public Enemies uh, theme song as well. Yes, it was. Very hot mm-hmm. in 1994 into 1995 ECW. Yes, absolutely. Good to uh, see some uh, representation from Babyface as well. Uh, would have been David Silver's interesting, <laughs> yes. no doubt. Uh, that's one. right. Yes. Uh, speaking of David Silver, we're going to talk about him in just a moment. Um, oh. let, let's go from the radio uh, to the movies. What was going on in theaters this weekend, uh, ending October 28th, 
here's your top 10. We've got a couple of debuts on this weekend. Number 10, Silent Fall. I have no idea what that is, but that date, that was at number 10. Forrest Gump still raking it in at number nine. It's already made $286 million. Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Oh, what a tremendous movie mm, at number yeah. eight. Good rebound from like three straight fucking dogs. <laughs> four, five, and six are, well, four and five aren't good. Six is like half good. Um, but I think this was Wes Craven's kind of, you know, farewell to Freddy. Uh, very good movie, though. Number seven, Little Giants. Number seven. Number six, The River Wild. Number five, another debut, The Road to Wellville. That sounds like a cartoon <laughs> or an animated movie. Number four, Love Affair. At uh, Speaking of Hogan and Beefcake, <laughs> number four. Uh, the Specialist, at number three. I, I, I think I said this in the last episode, JR. Is that the... That's not the Sly and no, that's Assassins. I always forget who's in the Specialist. We, I know we talked about it last. Yeah, I think we talked about it last episode. Yeah. yeah. Uh, number two, Pulp Fiction, bumped from its number one spot, and number one making its uh, debut for the weekend, Stargate, the movie. Oh. Uh, of course, the movie had Kurt Russell and uh, who the fuck played the, uh, Daniel Jackson? Shit. Do you remember Tim? Um. Yeah, I'm blanking on it. Yeah, um, I remember. Oh, I don't remember now. Stargate is like the most inexplicable movie to inspire like a whole franchise. I know, right? I, I've never met a single person in my life who said like Stargate is my favorite thing ever, you know? Right. And it's got all these shows, got movies, just I never really got it. I mean. Yeah, I, I, uh, no, I'm, why am I blanking? Damn it. I wish I could remember. Um. It's it's gonna it's gonna haunt me now. But uh it um I did like the show. The I, I only watched I didn't watch Atlantis and all the others. I did watch the regular series and I liked it. I mean it was good sci fi fare. It wasn't anything earth shattering, but it was good sci fi fare. Um it's driving me bad shit. James Spader. James Spader. Thank you. That's the other star cool. of <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Kurt Russell. Specialist was uh Stallone and Sharon Stone. Oh okay. 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 The other assassins, I think, was Stallone and uh, Antonio Banderas, I think, right? I think that's what it's called. Anyway, um, yeah, and of course, Kurt Russell will be replaced by, uh, what's his name? Richard Dean Anderson, MacGyver. And uh, I can't remember the actor's name. He was on uh, Arrow on the CW. He played Hawkman, Tim, mm. if you remember that. I never really watched the series. I mean, that's the thing. Like, again, I just... It was. I never understood why it was. Uh, I figured it must have had a pretty strong following, but I just I didn't get it. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I I didn't hate it. I mean, I, I liked it. I watched it. Not I watched it like a few years, like a few several years ago. Not when it ha when it was on the air, but it was like ten seasons, and I'm like, wow, I can't believe. Yeah, that. it was on season. forever. Yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. Spinoffs and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Stargate Atlantis, Stargate Universe. Yeah, I didn't watch any. I just watched uh, the the regular the original one. It was good. I mean, it was fun, harmless sci-fi fare, but nothing earth-shattering. Speaking of Stargate, yeah. let's go through the gate at the stadium and take the field. All right. All right, Tim, do you have your Tim's favorite thing, classic football. Oh, boy. 
Do you have your quarter to flip for each of these games? <laughs> Just flip we it. Get a flip. random number generator or something. There you here. go. Yep. All right. So let us go now to week nine of the 1994 season. It was October 30th and Halloween was that Monday. So there you go. Uh, all right. We will begin at uh, Rich Stadium in Buffalo where the Bills host the Kansas City Chiefs, JR. Uh, I'll take the Bill, uh, 94. No, I'll take the Chiefs on the road. Okay. Tim? I feel like it's always a safe bet to bet against Buffalo. So, yeah. I mean, if I know nothing about football, I know that much. Well, uh, yeah. Bills 44, Chiefs 10. Nope. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Good start. Uh, let us go to Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati, where the Bengals host the de- defending world champion Dallas Cowboys. Tim. Oh, um, because of my Brian Pillman love, I'll go Bengals, I think. Okay. I will take Probably your... not a good, good idea. <laughs> but, I mean... I'll take the Cowboys. Uh, uh, much closer game than I think probably people thought at the time, but the bank, the Cowboys did win 23 to 20. Uh, to Giants Stadium in the Meadowlands. The Giants host the Detroit Lions, JR. Uh, I will take the Lions. Okay, Tim? I'm going to go Giants. All right. Competitive game. Barry Sanders rushed for 146. Lions win in overtime, 28-25. to 25. Uh, Let's go to RFK. Very good. <laughs> Let us go to RFK Stadium in our nation's capital, where the artist formerly known as the Redskins, hosting the Philadelphia Eagles. Tim. Mm. I feel like never a good idea to bet on uh, <laughs> 90s uh, Washington. So uh, Eagles for me. Okay. I'll go Eagles. Win number one for Tim. Bing, 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 All bing. right. Yeah, yeah. There you go. My, my closest thing to hometown uh, team go. lets me down and gives me a win in this. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, competitive game. rundown. Though. Eagles hang on and win 31 to 29. All close game. Well, except the Bills game. Uh, we go now to uh, the Hoosier Dome in Indianapolis. The Col- the uh, Colts hosting the J-E-T-S Jets, 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 J-R. I will take the Jets. Okay. Tim? I will take the Jets also. Highly competitive matchup. Another close one. Colts win at home. 28 to 25. Uh, wow. So the the Jets and Giants both lost by the same score that week. 28 to 25. Weird. And weird, weird number, too. All right. Let's go to Mile High Stadium in Denver. The Broncos host the Cleveland Browns, Tim. I don't want to say a team called the Browns wins anything. <laughs> so they're the Broncos. I'll take okay. Denver. Okay. Uh, John Elway threw for 349. Broncos win 26 to 14 let's go to uh jill oh no it wasn't gillette not for a while it was i think it was patriot stadium i think the sullivan got taken off uh patriot stadium in uh foxborough as the pats host the miami dolphins uh jr benvenido a miami tim pats oh tim you poor soul uh this is uh, poor thing dolphins 23 and the patriots uh three Let's go out wow. to the mausoleum, the Coliseum in Los Angeles, the Raiders, in their last season in L.A., I believe, uh, host the Houston Oilers, Tim. Ooh, for shits and grins, Oilers. 
Yes, yeah, same. Uh, never trust a team where Billy Joe Tolliver is your quarterback. Raiders win 17-14. I didn't know who the quarterback was. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. The quarterback, Billy Joe Tolliver. Uh, anyway, let's go to uh, Jack Murphy Stadium, the Murph in San Diego. The Chargers host the Seattle Seahawks, uh, JR. San Diego. Okay, Tim? San Diego. All right. Wins for all. Chargers 35 Seahawks 15. It's Van Burton Let's, versus Sexy Steve right there. That's right. That's right. Uh, San Diego. Let's go down to the Great Sombrero in Tampa. The Bucks hosting the Minnesota Vikings, Tim. Good Lord. I could not tell you less about either of these teams. Um, One team's purple, one team's orange. Okay. Help? We'll go with the purple <laughs> team. I think it's the Vikings. You're, okay. JR? Same. Uh, good pick. Timothy, right. Mike 36 and the Bucks 13. Uh, let's go out to uh, Tempe to Sun Devil Stadium. The Cardinals host the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, JR. I will take the Cardinals. Tim. I will take I'll take the Cardinals also. Another highly competitive matchup. Cardinals win in overtime 20 to 17. And finally, Halloween night on Monday night at Soldier Field in Chicago. The Bears hosting the Green Bay Packers, the oldest rivalry in the league, Tim. Bears. Jared. I'll take I'll take Green Bay. Uh, I don't even know who half these guys are. That must be Steve Walsh. Did he coach the Bears? Uh, yeah, I guess he was a Bears quarterback. Anyway, he threw for 140. The stats look shitty, but the Packers win 33-6. to six. So there you go. There's your week nine in 1914. Yeah, Tim, you did okay. Yeah, nine to five. You did all right. I would Dolly say, uh, yeah, statistically did about the same as I would have if I had just guessed at random, which I basically did. Yes. All right, Tim. Now you did better now, than Michael. So I'll say that. Okay. <laughs> all right, Tim. I'll now we'll get into your wheelhouse. We have no more sports, thank God, mm -hmm. for you. <laughs> now we'll get into your wheelhouse because it is time now to see uh, what episode of our favorite program of the decade or one of them, I guess Ooh. we are yep. in season five of Beverly Hills, nine Oh two one Oh. And the episode that aired on this night, uh, on this night, October 26th, 1994, the episode was called things that go bang in the night on Halloween. Now that all of Valerie's misdeeds and true persona are finally revealed. She seriously considers moving back to Buffalo, but is persuaded to stay by Brandon and his parents, after learning that Valerie's mother has committed herself to a mental hospital after suffering a nervous breakdown due to the stress of Valerie's father's suicide. Steve unfairly blames Dylan for having a tryst with Valerie and ends all business he has with the Peach Pit and the After Dark Club. On the other hand, Kelly delights herself by telling everyone, I told you so about Valerie. Those are the times we wanted to punch Kelly. Uh, while Brandon and Cindy continue to be warm, friendly, and supportive to Valerie, Jim from this point onward, coldly avoids Valerie or openly treats her with suspicion. Wondering if all the bad and negative things that Kelly has been saying about Valerie might be true. Meanwhile, Dylan's anger and desperation over everyone being aware that he is broke becomes obvious to all when he further isolates himself from everyone he knows and he later meets a drug dealer at his pool hall who introduces him to cocaine. Dylan later takes out his gun and shoots up his living room. At a fraternity costume party at the Keg House, Donna's two boyfriends, Griffin and Ray, 
finally meet face to face and almost have a fight. And Donna chooses to be, of course, with the wrong guy. She picks Ray. Mm -hmm. Elsewhere, Andrea gets upset when Jesse's aunt presents baby Hannah with a crucifix. Oh, boy. Mm -mm. Also, Claire talks David into tagging along with her for a UFO hunt. Oh, God. A night in the desert near Barstow that results in them finally consummating their relationship. After Valerie continues to sneak out to hang out with Dylan, she sees him high on cocaine. Valerie then tells Brandon, who then confronts Dylan over his actions. (sighs) And on this episode, the video for After Seven's Not Enough Hours in the Night plays over the closing credits. Tim, your thoughts? Wow. I mean, yeah, this is peak 90210 for me. Probably not for most people, but I... You guys know I love the Valerie era. Mm-hmm. She's such a tour de force. So much of this episode sounds like it's just devoted to the fallout of her just early scheming on this show. Just, I mean, she's only, what, maybe seven, eight episodes into her run yeah. already. Eight. So much eight. of this drama. Eight. Okay, episode eight. eight. Yep. Um, I gather this is this is where Steve, or the aftermath of Steve busting... Dylan and Valerie, um, who'd been shacking up, um, and he notably Steve decks Dylan in a pretty, uh, pretty awesome scene. Yes. Um, and this is where Dylan, his addiction arc kind of kicks into overdrive where he's now gone from not just, um, you know, relapsing on alcohol, but, uh, taking some hard drugs as well. That drug dealer played by a great character actor, John Grice as well. Yes. uh, Who we will see uh, anyone who watches white Lotus on currently. Yes. uh, The, Mm -hmm. the husband of um, Jennifer Coolidge's character. And also Um, was uh, Uncle Rico in Napoleon Dynamite. And Uncle Rico. Yes. A favorite. Yes. A favorite as well on this network. So gotta love it. Um, Donna with her two boyfriends, just ridiculous in season five. Um, Casper Van Dien is uh, Griffin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, he's going to have a little run on the show. You got Ray. He's been on it for a minute. Uh, not much Brandon here, right? You know, not. It seems like he's kind of um, off the radar in this episode a little bit. But, um, yeah, just. This is when I was super locked into the show, and, and, yeah. and it was only going to get better for me. That, I mean, I, I think Luke Perry does probably his best acting of the entire series during that. Right. Probably ten episodes. Post pirate. Post pirate. Well, <laughs> maybe including because uh, that'll come back into the uh, the four before too much longer. But yeah, I mean that that spiral that that uh, substance abuse arc that he has is is pretty great stuff. Do you think Jr. and Tim? Uh, not that we're getting. Well, this isn't a nine hundred two and also episode, of course. But I know you guys will get to this episode in two thousand thirty six <laughs> or somewhere, man. Um, I feel like the with Brenda gone. I know that they. I feel like the they were getting. They were trying to make Valerie the new like villain. <clears throat> but I feel like this is where people either started to really. This is where the Kelly camp strictly aligned in the sand here. Starting with this season, I feel like you either absolutely love Kelly or you absolutely hate Kelly. And I feel like this season starts with that. I don't know. That's just my thought. Like she was I think she was universally yeah. loved through the first four seasons. But I feel like this season without Brenda to be the lightning rod and Valerie is because obviously 
you know, Brenda was ambiguous when it came to whether you liked her or hated her, depending on what episode, whether she was being victimized or if she was the pain in the ass. Here, Valerie's clearly the villain. So you either love her as a villain or hate her as a villain. And Kelly's getting like all sanctimonious and shit. And I and sometimes you feel like, you know, you want her to shut the hell up. So that's just my opinion. I feel like season five with with Brenda gone, I feel like there's a lot of different fan thinking as you get into that season. That was just a, a thought I had as we were. And is Jim like literally the smartest parent of the two? I mean, I love <laughs> well, I love Cindy, but come on. Jim knows. Jim knows. <laughs> he knows the score. He knows as the far score. as Kelly, I mean. I think as a as more of a supporting character in the series, she was maybe allowed to have some flaws and, and allowed to grow and change um, throughout so, some of those early years. And at this point where she's been really, um, I guess, given the call up in a way, she's now the, the lead actress on the show, um, gotten a bit of a promotion. Mm-hmm. It's necessitated a, a character change in a direction that a lot of people don't really like where, okay, if she's the lead, she's kind of, she kind of always has to be in the right to a certain right. extent, just right. by virtue of the fact that that's what the role calls for. And it sort of makes, it, it brings out like this judgier side of the character that, right. um, you know, played against other characters who occupy that role that she used to be in, kind of like a Valerie. Um, it, and I'm gonna, it I'm gonna match bit. it up. I'm gonna sync it up to wrestling terms. Ready? Yeah, sure. Okay. Kelly at this time period is like 1997, early 1997. Bret Hart. I knew you were gonna say that. And <laughs> Valerie is Stone Cold on the rise. Like, uh-huh. yep. You know, you're into it. It's hot. It's, you know, a little out of control, but deep down, you know, she's wrong, but she's really just doing what she thinks is right. Whereas Kelly is like sanctimonious and can't believe that no one can see through this farce and that she's supposed to be the one that everyone loves. But, you know, everyone's kind of fawning over Valerie now and it ends up driving her to making stupid decisions with Brandon and Dylan and then turn into drugs and Colin. So, which is the hard foundation for her. Does that mean, does that mean Dylan right now is Shawn Michaels? <laughs> yeah. Well, oh my God. I just thought it was like a fitting cop because if you really think about it, it's like, that's when, when you were talking about how sanctimonious she is and always like, she talks like she's completely in the right at all times. Like that's Brett during that whole time period. Like yep. this, you know, talks very clear, clearly and decisively about how they believe they're always correct and can't believe that the fans are siding with, such a bastard you know yeah yeah it's funny so anyway anyway, there you go there's your pop culture corner that does that be sure to check out everything you know we mentioned various shows here but check out everything in all of our podcast networks north south connection this very network here pro wrestling uh pro wrestling only pro wrestling only uh dot com uh place to me nation wrestling feed and the place nation pop experience we have tons of great content coming at you at all times be sure to stay uh fixated on our social media feeds or to subscribe so you get all of the latest podcast action and with that said now we're going to head back to the future cyber sunday 2000 Something's tearing me 
live October 6, 2008 from the U.S. Airway Center in Phoenix, Arizona. 7,981 in attendance, uh, 153,000 buys, the third and final edition of Cyber Sunday. So that's it already for this one. It's gone by the wayside. And the final of all the voting. We started Taboo Tuesday in 04, had two of those, three Cyber Sundays, and that concept is gone. It's Arizona's third pay-per-view. All of them have been in Phoenix. The last pay-per-view in Phoenix was Judgment Day 2006. On October 6, 2008, Matt Stryker's father passed away. Four days later, Dolph Ziggler suspended 30 days for his first violation of the wellness policy, a guy we haven't really talked about yet. Mm -hmm. uh, four days after that, Lance Cade was released following an incident where he suffered a seizure on a plane. Uh, it just knows he has suffered a seizure, but I believe it was uh, something to do with uh, drug abuse that led to that. Yeah. On 10-16, Raw did a three-day run of shows in Puerto Rico, while SmackDown and ECW did four days in Mexico. On October 16th, former ring announcer Jack Reynolds passed away at age 71. And October 19th, Leah Maivia, the wife of Peter Maivia and grandmother of The Rock, passed away at 81. And a uh, week after that, Special Delivery Jones passed away at age of 63. So kind of a tough run here at the end of October 2008. We had one dark match that aired on WWE.com. Shelton Benjamin defeated R-Truth to retain his United States Championship. Uh, R-Truth won a vote over Festus and MVP, who was just completely fallen off here. Yeah. Loses a vote to those two guys and not even on the show. So... There's that. Uh, then we head inside the arena. We get a pretty good election-based opening package, just kind of based on voting and stumping mm -hmm. different stuff. And then Michael Cole welcomes us to Phoenix. And that brings us to our opening match. We'll talk about the poll in a minute, but it's Rey Mysterio Jr. taking on Kane Scott. Tell us about this match. All right. Well, on the 10-6 uh, Raw, Kane and Matt, Har uh, Matt Hardy, Mark Henry, Kane and Mark Henry, uh, defeated Mysterio and Matt Hardy, so it's close, in a tag match where Kane pinned Matt. The following week on 10-13, it was announced Mysterio and Kane would face off in a rematch with the fans choosing the stip. And uh, Kane and Henry would defeat Mysterio and Matt in another tag match where Kane pinned Mysterio. After the match, Kane continued to attack Mysterio until Mysterio cleared him from the ring. And the following week on 10-20, uh, Mysterio would defeat Snitsky in a match and Kane would lose in a gauntlet match to Batista and Chris Jericho. So your vote choices... The uh, stipulations were no holds barred, false count anywhere, and two out of three. And the winner with 39% of the vote was no holds barred. It's actually a very close vote. Usually these votes are kind of ugly, but uh, no holds barred, 39%, false count anywhere, 35%, and two out of three, 26%. So this match is a no holds barred. All right. So, the Noel's Bar stipulation in place, a hot way to start the show. High Energy Ray comes down, his ongoing war with Kane. Todd Grisham reveals those poll results. Kane makes his way out. We get a hot start from Ray, knocks Kane outside and goes to the air of the somersault plancha. Ray goes to the weapons first, but Kane cuts him down before he can execute. Works the back, bends, and twists on the floor. Tosses him inside like a bag of trash. Kane uses his usual power attack to bust on the back. Snap offense, some simple submissions. The crowd is behind Ray. Ray goes to the eyes, tries to get back into things with a bulldog. As the crowd is heating up for the 619, Kane nails with a great clothesline. Kane grabs a chair. Ray drop kicks it back into his face and then grabs the chair and uses it for a leg drop for two. Cole says Ray is a swashbuckling offensive style. Kane slugs Ray down, grabs the steps, and brings him in the ring. After a couple of counters, Ray sends Kane into the steps with a drop toe hold. Ray smashes Kane in the gut, leg, and face with a chair, then drives him into the ropes with it and tries a 619. But again, Kane pops up and tries a choke slam. Ray counters with a Rana, hits a 619, and a springboard splash for an upset win. Pretty hot finish. 
the matchup that was solid is about on par with last month. Just a good veteran match with the basic structure, cat and mouse style. Ray was flying around, sticking and moving. Kane can never get the kill shot. Kane's 619 counters are pretty good. Uh, I think they could have went heavy with the weapons, but it is a long night ahead uh, here. So maybe they wanted to keep it kind of toned down to kick things off. So it was fine not to go all in. Uh, there's a good clean win for Ray. Scott went two and three quarters. Yeah, I mean, this was fine. Um, you know, it was uh, it was Kane and Ray. I mean, big man, little man. I'm just, I'm, my uh, Google Sheet is struggling to load, so I'll give you my grade in a minute. Um, and, I mean, Ray is at this moment in this kind of window in the late 2000s where he's just there to, like, you know, um, face the big guys and, and that kind of thing. And it continues on through the back end of 08, and we'll talk more about it on the next, uh, on our show in two weeks. Um, but it was fine. I mean, it was a, it was, you know, perfectly acceptable, uh, match. Um, I think I, I was surprised that 26% voted two out of three falls. That would have been kind of fascinating to see Ray try to go two out of three falls with, with Kane. That might've been fun. Um, but again, you know, t- it, it's tip again, it's usual, typical WWE, the same kind of put together, uh, um, stipulations uh your uh what did i give oh here we go finally uh two and three quarters same as you uh so you know solid uh kane is kind of in limbo he's kind of you know i feel like there were a lot of guys that we've talked about so far jr in 2008 that have kind of just been doing some mid-cardy things and very entertaining uh but 2008 is kind of a a unique year for that where i feel like just guys Mm -hmm. are kind of floating around and and but but putting on good stuff and solid feuds and you know, Ray is one of those guys, obviously, with his mask that you can always do that. I mean, earlier in the year, is that this year or is that next year when he when him and Jericho feud over? I think it's 09. Um, next year. Yeah, yeah, it's next year. 09. Where, uh, you know, him and Jericho feud over the mask. And that's always a fun little thing. And they talked about doing a mask match earlier. In the, we talked about that earlier in the year. Uh, but overall, Tim, solid opener. You know, Kane's Kane. Ray still Ray's body hasn't broken down a goo yet. So he's still pretty entertaining and a, a solid opener. Yeah, it is a solid opener. Um, I will say I have had no recollection of these two having a feud prior to that um, that time period. I, I think it was in 2010 when they were fighting over The Undertaker being in a persistent vegetative state or, or something. Um, th- that was, boy. Um, but anyway, th- th- you know, it's, it's decent enough for what it is. I, I do question who was voting for these two to go two out of three falls. That did get like kind of a <laughs> yes. more disproportionate number of, of votes than you would Masochist. think. But, um, Crazy. Yeah, because I mean, like, you kind of figure they would have had the same match, whether no holds barred or, or falls count anywhere one, right? Like, they could kind of just do the same thing that they, they do out here, and it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um I thought it was well worked. I liked all the various six one nine teases. Um, it does have a hot finishing sequence, um, but it you know it's not winning any year end awards. So I was a little bit lower than you guys. I ultimately landed at at two and a half stars for this one. Okay. All right, we have our previews of our diva costume contest. We get some quick promos. Michelle is dressed as an army brat. Katie Lee Burchill is a vampire. Lena Yada is a sexy ninja. And Candace Michelle is Marilyn Monroe. We'll see more of those in a bit. Mm-hmm. 
Chris Jericho's in roaming the hallways, comes across Cody Rhodes, Ted DiBiase, and Manu, says it isn't right that Randy Orton's taking credit for their work, and he knows what it's like to be disrespected and undermined, but they are on the cusp of greatness, and if they want to go next level, they should do to Batista what they did to Punk. Rhodes says they're not doing Jericho's dirty work, and the fans may have voted them in to defend the tag titles. DiBiase says they're looking forward to Jericho's match. Uh, any quick thoughts on that promo from either of you? It's interesting as this little story continues to develop with these guys. Mm. Manu. What happened Manu. there? <laughs> yes. Manu. Are they even called Legacy at this point? No, yeah. No, I don't think so. Yeah, I didn't no. think so. I don't think that starts till the following spring. No, it's before that, but it's Is it? not yet. Yeah. Okay. All right, Todd Grisham brings out ECW general manager Teddy Long and his assistant Tiffany. They bring out the ECW world champion Matt Hardy for his defense against one of our three options tonight. Scott, before we get into that, any builds to this match? Yes, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, we'll, uh, well, I'll do this. We'll, let me go through the notes and then uh, I will give the bio because we have a debut right now. Hmm. Um, so uh, on the 10-7 ECW, Mark Henry demanded a rematch with Matt, only for Jamie Noble to call him out, and Henry would defeat Noble in a squash and attacked him afterwards until Matt made the save as he gave Tony Atlas the twist of fate, only for Henry to give the Matt the world's strongest slam and a splash. The following week, on 10-14, uh, Henry and Atlas again demanded a title shot as Teddy Long came out and said that Henry would be one of three choices for the fans to choose from as to who would face Matt at Cyber Sunday, with the other two being determined through qualifying matches. That night... Uh, one of the guys that I'll mention in a moment defeated Chavo Guerrero. Finley defeated John Morrison to qualify as Henry attacked both men after their matches. And on the 10-21 ECW, uh, Matt was cutting a promo on who he preferred to face as Finley, Mark Henry, and this newcomer would all interrupt him and plead their case to the fans. At the end of the night, uh, the newcomer would defeat Henry and Finley in a triple threat match when he pinned Henry. So our three uh, wrestlers, as we said, Mark Henry, Finley, and Dr. Bourne, no, it's not a doctor. Evan Bourne makes his debut here. His uh, real name, Matt Corkian, Matthew Corkian, wrestled in high school and took up Taekwondo before training to be a pro in St. Louis. He would make his debut in October 2000 with GCW, not that GCW, as Lance Seidel and worked the indie scene as he would take the name Matt Seidel in 2003. He would spend a brief time in TNA before joining Ring of Honor and was part of Generation Next. And he would also spend time in Dragon Gate and Wrestling Society X before joining, uh, signing with WWE in 2007. He would work in OVW, where he won the world title, before moving over to FCW, and he would make his main roster debut in June under the name Evan Bourne, and he makes his pay-per-view debut here. Shortly after he debuted, he would be instrumental in getting the ban lifted off the Shooting Star Press, as that would become his finisher known as Air Bourne. So, no surprise, the uh, vote was not even close. Mark Henry in third place with 6%, Finley in second place with 25%, and Evan Bourne with 69%. Wins the vote. So it is Matt Hardy and Evan Bourne for the ECW Championship. Wrestling Society X. Been a minute since we've heard about that. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Jeez. All right, Matt Hardy jogs out. He's on his hot streak as a worker and as ECW champ. Grish and Stryker are in the booth for this one. The vote is revealed. Bourne wins, like you said, Scott, pretty handily. Uh, balanced start. Bourne is hanging in with Hardy. They trade strikes and pacing. 
Uh, Bourne ends up with a quick flurry. That ends when Hardy cracks him with a forearm. Back in the ring, Bourne comes back and starts to work the shoulder. He picks up a near fall on a standing moonsault. Hardy tries to avoid the big bomb, and it pays off as he trips up Bourne on a springboard. He lands hard on the ropes. Hardy gets to work. He targets the back with strikes and an abdominal stretch. Good mix, having Hardy get to be the base and the bully here. Something different. Bourne counters a splash mountain, uh, counters a splash mountain to a Rana. Buys himself a breather. Hardy comes right back with a side effect for two. It's the second one for a near fall. Hardy comes off the middle rope and eats a heel kick. Bourne runs through some offense, gets close to the title, but Hardy keeps hanging on. The pace here continues to be pretty good. Bourne gets a great near fall on a top rope double knee driver. Hardy gets two on a desperation roll-up, but Bourne gets a tilt-a-whirl and heads up top, but Hardy blocks. Bourne fends him off, but misses Airborne. Hardy tries a twist of fate, but Bourne counters to her backside. Hardy then finishes with a twist of fate to retain his title to some booze. Hardy gives Bourne props after the match. That was a lot of fun. Uh, great pacing, just all-out offense, bouncing all over the place with Riddle, uh, just tons of uh, Riddle, the great near falls, a star showing for Bourne, even in losing, and Hardy is the steady veteran champion who's withstood the young guns. Uh, just more quality output, Tim, from ECW here during this time period. Every pay-per-view, they have a really good match on the show. I went three and a half stars for this, and I think it was a really strong debut for Bourne on pay-per-view. Yeah, I, I was really impressed with this match. Um you don't think of Matt Hardy as, as being uh, typically the, the larger opponent in any of his matches by any significant degree. But, I mean, here he really kind of dwarfs um, Evan Bourne, and he uses that size uh, really to his advantage. So it, it's a kind of a, a 50-50 match um, in, in terms of, like, there's no real heat segment here. They, they pretty much split it right down the middle, but they still tell the story very effectively that that Bourne is the one like moving around more. Like he's doing more. He's, he's showing out more and, and it's Matt kind of dominating again, using his, his size and his strength advantage. Um, so I, I like the story that they told there some really decent false finishes throughout this. Uh, but ultimately we, we just get a solid and, and really successful title defense by the ECW champion. And sometimes that's all you need. So I like uh, the the finish here, clean as a sheet. Um, as you said, star making performance for Evan Bourne still looks good in defeat. Will live to fight another day. Uh, I went three and a quarter on it. Um, yeah, pretty pretty good stuff here. Uh, uh, excellent analysis, Tim. I I I I like this match a lot. I gave it three three quarters. Mm-hmm. Your time was uh eleven oh one, and the time for the first match, the Kane Ray match, was ten seventeen. Uh, I think we all knew, based on who was in the choices for votes, that Bourne was going to win. Um, you know, because a, a lot of times people vote because they're looking for what would be an awesome match. And and obviously, you know, no one wants Mark Henry. He's the heel. And Finley, you know, Finley and Matt could be fun, but people want to see, you know, new faces and big spots. So 2008 did that a lot. And, uh, yeah, I definitely enjoyed um, – seeing these guys go back and forth. I think we knew Evan Bourne wasn't going to win. I'm curious if, uh, if that, if that was a, cause I always wonder throughout and might as well say this now, since it'd be the last show that we do, uh, this would be the last, uh, you know, voting pay-per-view we'll have that. I wonder if they call audibles depending on who wins. I'm sure we've talked about this over the years, Jr. with the past taboo, taboo Tuesdays and the other cyber Sundays. I'm wondering if like if Finley or Mark Henry won, if, if they were slated to maybe win, um, and keep that feud going. Probably not. I mean, I'm guessing Matt was probably going to win regardless, but I think 
people just wanted. I think people knew that and just wanted to see like the best guy in the best. Yeah. Match. Yeah. That's pretty much what that is. But yeah, false finishes, uh, good back and forth. I think Matt particular, and we've talked about it all year. Uh, JR Matt's been on a, on a tear. I mean, this is probably the one year maybe where, where the two of them, him and his brother are kind of on even level mm-hmm. in ring, obviously wrestle differently, but they're both at, at, at like their peak. They're both at their peak. Um, in terms of their singles runs. So nice win for Matt. Uh, I mean, obviously the crowd booed because they like seeing upsets, but that wasn't going to happen. Um, but a good match. I enjoyed it very much. We get more diva costume reveals. Beth Phoenix is King Arthur. Maria is a bunny and Kelly is a sailor. We then get the vote reveal for our next match, which is determine who would face off for, uh, or I guess just in a tag match, right? Pretty much. So uh, the options are Crime Time versus Miz and Morrison, CM Punk and Kofi Kingston versus Cody Rose and Ted DiBiase, and Jamie Noble and Mickey James versus William Regal and Layla. Uh, Scott, was there any build to this? A uh, little bit. Uh, over the summer, Crime Time would begin their own show for the website called Word Up, and they would begin an off-screen feud with Morrison and Miz's show, The Dirt Sheet, as to which team had the better show. On the 10-13 Raw, Morrison and Miz did a rap with Jillian Hall, providing vocals until Crime Time interrupted it. And then Crime Time would team with Kelly Kelly to defeat Morrison, Miz, and Hall in a six-person tag. The next night on the 10-14 ECW, uh, Crime Time would cost Morrison his match with Finley to prevent him from being a choice to face Matt in our previous match for the ECW title. On the 10-20 Raw, Morrison and Miz mocked numerous tag teams and would defeat Punk and Kingston in a match. And later that night, Crime Time was set to face Rhodes and DiBiase only for Rhodes, DiBiase, and Manu to assault them before the match. And on the 10-21 ECW, Shad defeated Miz by DQ when Morrison got involved. So the uh, final voting, as it was totally different matches, Jamie Noble and Mickey versus Regal and Layla, 27%. It's another very balanced one. Rhodes and DiBiase versus Punk and Kingston for the world tag titles got 35%. And Crime Time and Morrison Miz got 38%. So it'll be Crime Time versus Morrison Miz. I was kind of surprised, guys, that the title match didn't win. It was kind of Very odd. surprising. It was, it was definitely a surprise. I, yeah. And not just a title match. Like Kofi and Punk, that's like a big yeah. team. Like that's yeah. What's going on shocking. there? Yeah. Yeah. Very weird. I, I have a question as well. Um, William Regal and Layla, what? Um, <laughs> am I missing so something? Rando. No, uh, it's an ongoing thing during this time period for sure. She's like, yeah. not as queen, but because he's like taking the ring, so they kind of play it up like that a okay. little bit. All um, right, fair enough. Yeah, no, she is with him for a bit here. All right, uh, again, bit of a surprise between the star power and the titles that Kofi and Punk Rose Diaz didn't win. Crimes Night come out first, a little bit of a pop. Ms. and Morrison are out. G- JTG and Morrison get us going as King talks up Eminem and how impressive they become. Miz gets the tag and he gets worked over as well. All crime time to start. Some nifty double team offensive power strikes. Miz and Morrison take over after throwing JTG to the buckle. But that's brief as JTG dives Morrison to the corner. Tag Shad for some more double team assault. Miz gets chucked outside as crime time stands tall. Shad screws up JTG and press slams him into Miz and Morrison on the floor in a fun spot. Miz and Morrison swarm Shad and take his knee out, get to work with a targeted attack of strikes and submissions. Cole tries to explain where the shaman is as Morrison works a single crab. 
Shad escapes and attacks JTG, but then he gets in the soup as Miz and Morrison double up and keep him grounded. Miz and Morrison piece together a fun heat segment, and JTG eventually flips free and tags in Shad, who comes in hot. He cuts through Miz and Morrison with big kicks and clubs and a pancake on Morrison. Morrison takes out Shad's knee and nearly steals a win. Miz slings JTG to a barricade as Shad plants Morrison with a spinebuster. Miz makes a save. Things break down with all four in the ring, and that ends with Miz kicking Shad in the knee and Morrison finishing with a midnight ride. Pretty solid classic-style tag match of good shine, a fun heat segment, and a hectic finish. Miz and Morrison steal another win. They continue to grow as a team with a fun heel offensive set. Crime time was good as well. A lot of cool double team spots throughout and a good and engaging crowd too. So Scott is pretty solid two and three quarter. It just felt like a, just a basic tag match. One you see on a science made event or a TV anchor match, something like that. Again, I could, you know, it didn't end up stealing the show or anything. So I'm still surprised we didn't get that tag title match, but this was, this was fine. Yeah, no, there was no issues. I gave it a two. I gave it two and a half. It was fine. Uh, your time was ten twenty two. Uh, yeah, no, I was fine with it. Um, I was. I'll be honest. I was a little surprised that uh, that Crime Time lost, but Ms. and Morrison are still. You know, it, it's a, in terms of like popularity or where they are in the pecking order, they're kind of even. So, um, you know, somebody had to lose. But this is. I mean, I'm not gonna say this is filler, but this was just here to kind of stretch the show out a little bit. Um, like you said, it was something you could watch the show on Raw, ECW, or SmackDown, and that's fine. It's okay. And uh, but a fun little match, Tim. Not much more to say here. Um, what do you think? I mean, I I I, th- I find these teams kind of even on the ladder. Do you agree? Um, yeah, I kind of do. Uh, I forgot how much I sort of liked this team of of Miz and Morrison, especially early on. And you know, they're both these mid card tag teams, and they've got these. Uh, I guess they've they've got these web shows that are semi over with with the fans, um, so it makes sense to pair these two up. Um, I will say I I wasn't feeling this one as much as you guys. I and this is probably my my WCW bias coming in, but I just thought that structurally it it kind of it was lacking in structure. I would say because it it seems like they're going to do the heat segment on. Shad, where he gets isolated and the heels are, are utilizing quick tags, you know, working over that left leg. Um, you think he's going to be like Shad's going to be that face in peril for a little while. But um, he actually tags out pretty quick. And it's like, OK, no, they're going to do the real heat segment on JTG now. And they kind of do. But it doesn't last very long. Like he he makes that hot tag. Right. Yeah. It's fairly cool. soon. You know, Shad comes back in. None the worse for wear for that that uh, limb work, so that doesn't really get called back at all. So you wonder why they even really bothered with the earlier Shad stuff. Like, why not just um, save all that and have a longer longer heat segment on JTG? But again, that's me wanting everything to be that Southern Tag formula. But it is what it is. Um, I thought the the finish worked pretty well with um, you know Morrison getting that midnight ride with the assist that subtle assist from Miz as well. They worked really well together. Um, but ultimately I only went two stars on this. I thought it was adequate, just really disjointed and, uh, fell short of, of what it could have been. I thought this had more potential. Um, I know they didn't get a lot of time, but still didn't make the best use of the time that they did get. Um, so nothing horrible, but really middle of the road match here for me. All right, we get more diva costumes as Tiffany as a sexy nun, Brie Bella as Cleopatra, Natty as a police officer, and Eve as a ninja turtle. 
Grisham then runs the poll options for the Undertaker Big Show match coming up later. Still time to vote on that. You get knockout, I quit, and last man standing options. Chris Jericho's backstage. He asks Great Khali to be in his corner tonight to keep things fair. Great Khali answers in Punjab, and Ranjan Singh says no, and they walk away. Brings us to our very interesting next match as Santino Morella be defending his intercontinental title against a legend of the fans choosing, Scott. How do we get to this point? All right. Well, on the 831 Raw, uh, Santino Morella referenced the record reign of, as he called him, the honky donkey man. Um, of course, 64 weeks. And he would bring this up every week via what he called the honky meter as he vowed to surpass the record. On the 10-6 Raw, Morella and Phoenix defeated Mickey James and Jamie Noble in a tag. And later that night, it was revealed Morella would face one of three legends. And we'll get to those uh, three legends shortly. On the 10-13 Raw, Morella cut a promo on facing one of the three legends before bringing in Johnny Knoxville, who was at ringside. And the two went back and forth until Phoenix gave Knoxville a slam after he called her a dude. <laughs> okay. And on the 10-20 Raw, Morella would come out dressed as all three of the potential opponents, and he mocked them until this fucking guy came out. Thank God he wasn't one of the choices. Hacksaw Jim Duggan, <laughs> and the two went back and forth until Morella threw his kilt at Duggan before hitting him in the head with the guitar. Guitars and kilts, what does that mean? Well, hmm. the choices were three former Intercontinental Champions. Of course, yes, one of them is indeed Mr. Ferris himself, the honky-tonk man, which was kind of stunning. Uh, of course, one of our favorite Intercontinental Champions of all time. Of course, he won it at the 92 Rumble, lost it at WrestleMania 8. The Hot Rod himself, Rowdy Roddy Piper, and uh, uh, brother of Cody Rhodes, and that is... Don't vote for me, Daddy. King is all over Santino's unibrow as he heads out with Ben Phoenix. He grabs the mic. Santino brings up the hunkometer. It says the Hunk and Tunk Man was the Intercontinental Champion for 64 weeks, and he's been IC Champ for 11 weeks. And in one week and one year, he will be the greatest of all the times. Citino says it has been the capital of the world where great athletes come to fade and die here in Phoenix, like Randy <laughs> Johnson, Shazam O'Neal, who uh, they show in the crowd, he's smirking, Shaquille O'Neal, and Matt Liner, who was a never will be. They all should have retired long ago, just like his opponents tonight. He asks Rod Grishams to show the results. And see whose career will end tonight at the end at the hands of the champion of Earth. Grish yes. reveals the poll results. The honky tonk man wins with 35%. Rowdy Roddy Piper with 34. Goldust with 31. So a pretty tight vote, but it all made sense for it to be honky given the honky meter stuff. Right. Uh, honky honky dances out. He gets a pop. He gets the mic. He calls Santino out for comparing himself to honky. So Santino's bad. He can't sing. He can't dance. And he can't compare to honky no matter how long he holds the IC title. Honky tells Santino to stand back. He starts to dance as his music plays. Honky tells Santino to dance. And Santino does some terrible moves. Breath, Beth is grimacing. Santino then punches honky while he's dancing. We start with a lockup and a honky headlock. An eye rake. And the crowd checks out a little bit. Beth trips honky. And we get a disqualification right away. Santino barks at Beth, calling her a stupid woman for costing up a pay-per-view match. Goldust and Roddy Piper come out. They all hit a move on Santino and leave him laid out. Uh, I thought it was kind of lame when he get the guitar. It's getting smashed by Honky on Santino. It seemed pretty obvious we get that. Uh, just more of a moment. Like, if Honky can't wrestle, just have the legends confront him during a promo. Like, have Santino come out, complain about not getting a title match, and, like, Goldust comes out first, then Piper, 
And then Honky comes out and is like, oh, you think you're better than me? And then hit him with a guitar. Like, that would have been better than trying to force us into a match that would, if this guy can't work, really. So, right. I gave it a dud, Tim. I mean, it's, Santino's <laughs> promo was great, but the match itself is just nothing. Yeah, I, I gave it a dud also as a match. Um, it's entertaining enough as a segment, but if you're gonna if you're gonna give us a match and and force us to rate it as a match, then I'm sorry, right. it's a dud. Um, I also was uh, very amused by it, Santino uh, and comparing himself his title reign to the Honky Tonk Man's. He he says that uh, Honky Tonk was uh, inexplicably the the champion <laughs> for sixty some odd weeks. Uh, and, and sort of kind of, kind of a cell phone at the same time, because he's like comparing his own fluke win and, and mm-hmm. championship reign to this other guy who's, you know, perceived as a real loser and chicken shit. So, um, I don't know. I, I like this. I like this period of Santino. I like the character. It's, it's fun, but I don't really need to see the matches so much. Right. Yeah. Um, and then the legends coming out all, you know, getting their shit in, um, Gold dust. This is as natural as you're going to get, um, you know, <laughs> hitting his finish is, is always fun, but, uh, uh, yeah, like where's the guitar? I mean, I don't think any of us really, that's a whole payoff. Like how many people would even tell you, Oh yeah. His, his actual finisher is like the shake rattle and drop or whatever. And hmm. yeah, he does this little stupid two step that he, that he always does, but it's, he didn't complete the package. Where's right. where's the damn guitar? We don't get it, and uh, that's that's why this falls short. Scott, yeah, this was. Uh, you got to be careful when you do these legends matches. I mean, I understand that that the storyline with the honky meter and stuff, but let's be honest. Do we really think Wayne Ferris could do anything anymore? I mean, this was stupid. I, I would have just cut a promo. If you want the legends pop like you do every year, that's fine. But I mean, who's the who's the closest one? Probably. Uh, probably Goldust would be the only one that you could actually give a match to. So, I mean, I don't know. Piper, I mean, obviously he he wrestled a couple of years earlier. Him and Flair won the tag belts, but obviously Piper was going through cancer, so I'm surprised he even was able to do it. Um, yeah, I would have just made it. I gave it a dud, too. I mean, and I don't want to because it was entertaining, but if you're not going to have – yeah, it's just – the whole thing was dumb. I mean, no disrespect to Santino. He's a you know solid enough IC champ, but – yeah, this should have been just like a promo where I can't believe I'm not defending anything and da 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 and then they come out and they beat the crap out of him. I mean, I think that's really what they should have done and they didn't, but um, that's okay. It wasn't that offensive. At least it was only like a minute and we didn't actually watch Honky try to do something for six or seven minutes. That would have been pretty ugly. So it was what it was. All right, JR and Taz reset. They talk about the Diva costume contest voting. Uh, we have more costumes as Maurice is a French maid. Layla is Princess Leia. Victoria is a big peanut butter jelly time banana and Mickey James is Laura Croft too. I thought as soon as I saw it was the best one so far. See how that that plays out. We get a hype video for our next match, which is big show taking on the undertaker. Scott, how did we get to this big match? All right. Well, it will be a stipulation vote. We'll get to those in a minute on the 10, 10 SmackDown. Vicky Guerrero said that show humiliated taker at no mercy and awarded him a title match that night against triple H and at the end of the show, Triple H and Show went to a no contest. Taker came out and attacked Show. The following week on 10-17, Show cut a promo on Taker, Show, when it was revealed they would face off at Cyber Sunday with the fans choosing the match dip. And Show would defeat uh, three jobbers in three straight matches with each one being one of the 
stipulations. Later in the night, Taker defeated the giant, co- the giant Kali, the great Kali, when Show got involved and he demanded Kali attack Taker with a chair, but Kali refused and headed to the back as Taker knocked Show out of the ring with a chair. And the following week on 1024, Taker defeated Triple H in a non-title match by DQ when Show got involved and he would beat Taker down with a chair. So your, uh, your options were last man standing, I quit, and a knockout match. Knockout finished third with 9%. I quit finished second with 42%. And in number one, what we all know now is WWE's favorite match stipulation, last man standing <laughs> at at 49%. I mean, they, you could tell they were trying to angle for knockout, obviously, with the whole finish no mercy, but right. no one's buying it. Out comes Taker with a big pop, his usual intense entrance. Show saunters out. Test as he struts like a cock of the walk as he hits the ring. Been a pretty good feud out of nowhere. We get a big slug fest from both. Taker lands more shots. Show throws him to the floor. They did a pretty good job making Show feel big compared to Taker in this feud, I thought. They trade some strikes on the floor, so Taker hits him with a chair. Back inside, Show cuts Taker down on the running body block. Gets to work with some heavy headbutts and punches. Gets the first count, but Taker's up at seven. Show's blows are really taking a toll. Show uses fist over and over until... Taker goes to the chair to slow him down, put him on the floor, but Show is up at eight. Taker starts to work the throat. He goes in on the legs as well, trying to take Show down. Show mauls him with a clothesline to turn the tide in a nice spot. Show goes back to the heavy punches, headbutts as Taker keeps answering with his own right hands. A real strike fest here. Both go for a choke save at the same time, but it ends at a Taker DDT for a nine count. The crowd is really locked in on this. Show removes the turnbuckle pad and tries for snake eyes, but Taker slips free and shoves Show into it. Meets him with a flying clothesline for nine. Taker misses a charge. He careens into the exposed turnbuckle, hard to the floor and the steps. Outside, they battle to the announce table, and Show uses the monitor. Taker ends up in the crowd. Show brings him back with a nice choke slam off the barricade through a table for a close nine and a half count with a ref allowed a little leeway. Pretty good drama there. Show continues to stalk and slug at Taker as we head back inside. Show keeps barking at Taker with each rattling body shot, but Taker comes firing back, hits another DDT. Out come Vicky and Chavo Guerrero, continuing to watch from the stage as Taker tries old school, but Show counters it with a choke slam for nine. Taker gets up and walks right into a vicious knockout punch, but he sits up at eight. Show is in shock, so he gets a chair. He mashes Taker in the head. Show tries to pick up Taker, but Taker drags him to Hell's Gate. Show tries to tap and eventually passes out, and Taker barely beats up the count to win the match. Uh, another great showing for Show. He dominated this, but his frustration walks him into a miracle. Taker win. Chavo wheels off Vicky in disgust at what Big Show, uh, Big Show's loss. And there's a really fun match here. It felt like a true boxing slugfest with two heavyweights hitting uh, heavy strikes and bombs. This is the way to do a big man throwdown. The crowd is into it. Show's really come out strong from this feud. Fully rehabbed. Some of his best work, really, in a while uh, since Mayweather, for sure, this year. Uh, really good stuff for both. Sky went three and a half. I enjoy this. Another big throwdown from these guys. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I also gave it a three and a half. Your match time. Uh, longest match of the night, 1923. Mm. Um. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to these two guys, and, and Tim, curious what you think, uh, you know, it's kind of easy for for Taker and Show to to you know to to knuckle to knuckle up and and have matches in any capacity. They're just two big dudes. It's a rarity when when Taker faces somebody bigger than him. And I, I think that uh, this is another nice again, like 2008, a nice little mid cards feud for two main event guys, particularly Taker. Um, you know, and, and it's entertaining. It's been fun. I mean, I don't know if I, I don't know if the Vicky Guerrero aspect of it is making it a little stale. I don't think so. 
but it's just been fun to watch. Like just, you know, they're not doing big like power moves, flipping around or everything. They're just punching each other in the stomach. Like I'm surprised we're not getting like, you know, fucking Ken Shamrock. I did say knuckle up too. Uh, Ken Shamrock fucking internal bleeding. Cause that seems to always happen when you're punching guys in the fucking ribs. But, uh, uh, no, I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was, I thought it was fun. I, I like when they work together cause they, they know how to do things differently. Um, it's a different kind of feud, you know, for them, you know, show didn't have the whole punching knockout thing the last time they were together. So it's been just a fun change of pace, Tim. I enjoyed it a lot. I gave it three and a half as well. Yeah. I mean, these two have had a ton of singles matches over the years. It's gotta be a struggle to find just original and interesting takes on, on this particular combination of guys right. kind of similar to, to undertaker mankind, right? Like, they can work well together, but you can't just run the same match over and over and over again. And especially, you know, you're you're getting now limitations as well in terms of just age and, and um, you know, their physical capabilities, particularly in terms of, you know, Big Show make, making his comeback. Um, you know, he's looked good throughout this year, um, and, and he does look good in this match. He, um, I, I would say he, you know if there's a standout uh, performer here, it is definitely show. And I, I kind of wish he had taken the win actually. Cause I mean, you can always rebuild the undertaker, but um, yeah, I, I thought they, they did find a, a pretty interesting and, and unique approach um, to a match that we've seen several times. Again, you, you sort of look at it and wonder if knockout wins uh, the fan vote, do we get a, a different match? I mean, I know there's a, technical distinction between a knockout match and a last man standing, but right. you can still pretty much run the same match. Um, I sort of wish, I, I, I think I wish that knockout had won because I, I low key hate uh, last man standing matches in WWE. Um, and we do get a lot of those like standing yeah, because, we, counts, because we usually get know? like, you know, we usually get like eight of them a year. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. There's too many yeah. and they all kind of, they all kind of follow a certain formula. Right. And here we do get a lot of those, those standing nine counts that just, it just, it feels very protracted in, in ways that are unnecessary. So I, I think that hurts the match. That's, that's no knock against what they do out there. There's some innovative spots. I like that choke slam um, off the barricade through the table. That looked really cool. Um, they're putting over that, you know, the the big show is just a big, nasty bastard who punches people in the face like that's his thing. Um, and, and he's so incensed that, that that doesn't earn him the win. He, he you know, he goes out there, he gets the chair that still doesn't get the job done. Um, thought the finish, though, that we got was a little weak with that. I mean, Taker doing the Hell's Gate is just visually it doesn't look like much. And then on top of that. You, you have to have a, a pretty dominant looking show, big show up to that point. Um, just lay out for this move that it just wasn't very convincing that that would put him out and then keep him out for a full 10 seconds to me. So right, right, yeah. I, I liked kind of the, I liked this match for like, you know, 90% of it. Um, the stipulation itself, notwithstanding, uh, it was enough for me to go like the gentleman's three. So I'm lower than you guys, but it's more, it's more a commentary on the stipulation itself, um, not so much 
the action involved and, and what the participants actually do here. I, I think I think this stipulation just really didn't do them any favors. All right. Chris Jericho complains to Mike Adamley about how unfair the match is and asks Adamley to be a good GM and make the right decision. Remove the guest referee. And if Adamley refuses, they're going to have a serious problem. Adamley says he won't back down or change the match. So Jericho looks at his phone and smirks and says they'll discuss this at another time. And he walks off. Taz gets to the ring to host the Diva costume contest. They all head to the ring to show off their costumes one by one. They start the catwalk. King says Kelly will make a lot of semen happy as she heads in with her Navy outfit. King is holding it together okay after that. Uh, we get the vote reveal after a very long drum roll. Mickey James, dressed as Laura Croft, wins. I agree. I think she was the best choice. That immediately devolves into a brawl, of course, with a lot of costume tearing and knocking to the floor and the faces standing tall. Uh, Scott, any real quick comments on this? No, I mean, uh, I mean, Maurice looked pretty hot in the French maid outfit. But, yeah, I mean, uh, Mickey's outfit was pretty solid. I had no problem with it. Tim? You think, Tim? Um, I'm just glad this didn't last longer than it did. It was quick. Yeah, yeah it was quick. Yeah. Well, they Once invested the time out, earlier, yeah. too, which helped. They sprinkled in the show, showing off the costume. Yeah, yeah. They, they kind of got, got the intros out of the way throughout the show itself. Yeah. All right, we got a hype package for our next match, Scott. That is Triple H taking on Jeff Hardy as Hardy continues to try to capture the world title. How did we get here? Well, uh, Triple H um, was having the vote was who he was going to face. Mm -hmm. Uh, On the 1010 Smackdown, uh, Jeff had a confrontation with Triple H backstage as he issued a challenge to the winner of the uh, match between Triple H and Big Show, which I mentioned earlier, and Triple H and Show would wrestle in a contest. Taker came in, and then Koz- Vladimir Kozlov would attack Triple H till Jeff made the save, though he gave Triple H the twist of fate. On the 10-17 SmackDown, it was announced Triple H would face either Jeff, Kozlov, or both in a triple threat at the pay-per-view per the fans' vote, and that night, Kozlov defeated Jeff and got in Triple H's face to end it. On the 10-24 SmackDown, Triple H got a promo on Cyber Sunday, as he was interrupted by Jeff and Kozlov, which ended with Triple H giving Jeff the pedigree. And at the end of the night, Triple H was attacked by Kozlov after his match, and Kozlov stood tall over him. So I think it's <laughs> I think it's not hard to figure out who won this vote. As Well, JR said it anyway, but I think everybody figured it out. Uh, Kozlov got 5%, and then in two weeks we'll understand, thank God, why that vote didn't happen. Uh, the triple threat got 38%, and no surprise, uh, Jeff Hardy got 57% of the vote. So it once again, for the second straight show, Triple H, Jeff Hardy for the WWE Championship. All right, Triple H heads out with his title, usual boisterous entrance. We get the results from the Grish. No shock here that Hardy dominated the poll. Another installment of his friendly rivalry. Hardy dances out. Will he finally break through tonight is the question. We ease in with some feeling out the usual Hunter mind games, reminding Jeff he hasn't gotten over the hump. They trade through some quick strikes and counters. Good way to show how well they know each other. Hardy goes to the arm, dodges a quick pedigree. Jeff goes for the first high risk move. It backfires as Hunter shoves him off the top to the floor. Hunter waits for him to get back inside and then goes to target the shoulder with a precision attack. Hardy takes down Hunter, mounts a comeback, picks up a couple of near falls on a quick hit offense, but Hunter baits him in and counters a slinging drop kick and a spine buster with a spine buster for two. 
Then he counters a springboard into a crossface. Pretty good counter wrestling by the champ here. Knows how to be patient. Wait out the high risks. We spill outside as Hardy shoots Hunter to the steps, and it's a great springboard body block into Hunter and the barricade. Back inside, Hardy gets two whispers in the wind for near falls. Hardy, uh, Hunter counters the twist of fate, but Hardy counters the pedigree, gets a jackknife cover for two. Hardy pops up into a twist of fate for two. He goes up top and buries a swanton, but doesn't cover. He goes up top and tries another swanton, but this time Hunter gets his knees up. Hardy counters another pedigree and knocks Hunter to the floor. He flies into grazing him with a dive off the top. Back inside, Hunter crotches Hardy on the top and drags him into the pedigree and retains his title. Hunter acknowledges Hardy after the match in a pretty cool finish. Uh, another good match with these guys, but you're going to think at some point they're going to pull this Hardy trigger. Like, the chance is going to dry up. At some point, it's just going to be assumed he's not going to do it. And are they going to wait too long and dim the pop? Uh, I mean, Hardy was right there with him the whole time. Hunter worked a smart match, countering the big spots. Good stuff overall. Uh, I thought as a match, it's just within the construct of the story here, you figure at some point, you know, Hardy's Hardy's going to cash in on these title shots. At some point, he's going to outsmart the game um, and win the belt. So maybe we're still building toward it. We'll see. Uh, you could argue he had him beat with the first Swanton, but he struggled to put him away so far. So maybe he knew he had to try something more leading to this. So Tim went three and a half. That was a very good match. Uh, but at some point, we're going to get it to Hardy, right? Yeah, I would agree with that. Um and I must think that uh, far be it for me, okay, to accuse the WWE of social engineering, but uh, I don't know. It, it seemed, from my vantage point, that the the opening package to this match was sort of all about Vladimir Kozlov, um, and like maybe they really wanted him um, mm-hmm. involved in this, at least if not getting the singles match, then then the triple threat at least. And right. uh, boy, that fan boot. <laughs> That that sure feels like a referendum on Vladimir <laughs> yes. It's like the fans just said fuck this guy, and uh, it's awfully damning to to Kozlov. To I mean, five percent for that that one on one, right? I mean, that's the definition of disinterest. And uh, to not even have him involved in any capacity is like, nope, we're not doing we're not doing that with this guy. Sorry, no. <laughs> um, we're, we're all about Jeff Hardy. And to your point, like, they got to pull that trigger sooner or later. You know, you can't – there's always something to be said for striking when the iron's hot, uh, but you wait too long, and, and yeah, you are going to get that diminished pop. You'll you'll miss your window. So uh, timing is everything here. I mean, I understand the wisdom of you want to preserve it for, for maybe a bigger showcase. This is kind of, a, I mean, Cyber Sunday. Mm-hmm. For that to be, like, Jeff Hardy's – well, should you stop doing it? Win, then stop doing the match if you're not going to. Ca- I mean, don't do it. Exactly. Right. That's my yeah. that's my contention. It's like at some point he's he's enough title shots. It's like we just did this with Batista for two years. Like, yeah. like how you yeah. keep getting title shots, and they're at least making it work. Like, okay, he's in the scramble with five guys. Okay, he wins the fan vote. Like, it's not like he just keeps getting title matches on his own, but it's just going to stop being. You're going to stop believing in it after a while. Right. I mean, I think RVD is probably the prime example of that where. You know, people wanted it in 2001, 2002. When does he finally win the big one? Like 2006. I mean, yeah, he's still over, but I mean, that's that's a shining star that had really diminished um, over the years, unfortunately. And you know, this is not that egregious, but look, it's Triple H. There's always that risk of history repeating itself. Um, that said. 
these two guys have really good chemistry together, like way better than you would expect. And uh, I, I definitely dug the match, um, even though like Triple H is like dominating at about 70 percent of this. But I think it worked because there's a clear turning point, right, where Trips has got uh, Jeff in that cross face. Um, Jeff manages to maneuver it into a pin and then it kind of becomes just match after that. And um, even in defeat, I, I thought that Jeff looked very convincing here. It, it, the match easily could have gone either way. Um, you know, Jeff doesn't look like a loser. Doesn't look like, you know, he slipped on a banana peel or anything like that. Um, but, you know, he, he can't keep losing even clean like this and, and very competitive matches. He's, it's got to happen and it's got to happen soon. Um, I will say that the finish I really enjoyed with that, uh, that pretty brutal pedigree coming off the, um, the turnbuckles. Like, I don't think we've ever seen that set up for the pedigree. So it looked pretty sick. Um, so decisive win here for triple H, um, easily could have been Jeff though. It's just for this type of show, um, you know, for this type of match, it, I guess it wasn't his night. I went uh, three and a half stars on it also, but um, yeah, I'm kind of ready, ready to see that Jeff win if, if I've invested in his, you know, 2008 journey here. Yeah, no, I agree with everything you guys have said. Uh, 1537, your match time. I gave it a three and a half. The funny thing about about it is, and I don't and I think this is more an indictment of, of Triple H being actually a halfway decent baby face in this backstretch is that his cheers are not diminishing. Like, he doesn't... You would think facing Jeff Hardy, you're going to get horribly booed. And mm. he doesn't. You know, it's it's kind of crazy. Uh, um, you know, Jeff gets the pops, but Triple H's pops are not, are not any smaller. You would think that... I mean, it's Triple H. He can get booed in the drop of a dime. Um, and he didn't. So that, that, to me, is not an indictment that nobody wants Jeff Hardy to win. I think Triple H has actually been a pretty a pretty decent babyface in this stretch. Where the last time he was a babyface, uh, you know, and like go to, it was pretty terrible. So, um, yeah, I mean, to his credit, he is over as a babyface, and yeah, he does manage manage to maintain that against like a fan favorite like Jeff Hardy, and that's without a crutch of like a, a team with a teaming with Shawn Michaels or, or DX bullshit or any of that. He's just a right. straight up singles baby face, which exactly. is a very unusual role for triple H and not generally a successful one. So no, not at all. Yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah. And I think, and the match was good. They, they work well together. I think, I think they actually have pretty good chemistry. Um, I had a feeling since this match wasn't last that Jeff wasn't winning. Um, you're not going to bury Jeff Hardy's first world right. title yeah. win in the middle mm -hmm. of the show. So you knew he wasn't going to win anyway. Um, maybe Kozlov, maybe you thought maybe Kozlov would come out and just, you know, butt fuck it at the end. And then we move on to arm, you know, to survivor series or whatever. But, um, again, triple H is not making Jeff look bad in losing, uh, like no mercy. Jeff got outsmarted. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But this match, he just kind of got out muscled at the end and that's okay. You know, but eventually we are going to have to see something soon. I, I even if I don't know if this was the plan at the moment, but I but waiting like till WrestleMania or something like having Jeff win the Rumble. I think that I think that's too long. You've all already right. started this train rolling. We're not, I don't think fans are going to wait all the way till, you know, the end of March or beginning of April to get a win. 
So if it doesn't happen by the end of the year, they may, they may not, they probably shouldn't even bother, but we'll see what happens. But having said that great match. Um, and again, I, I think the surprising thing for me is, is that triple H is still getting pretty good face pops. Uh, against the guy that you would never get more face pops or even equal face pops against than he is. And that's, that's, and again, that's not an indictment of triple of uh, Jeff Hardy. It's just, you know, both guys are liked and they're putting on awesome matches and triple H isn't making him look like a, like an idiot. Like he's not mocking him and that kind of crap. He's not pulling. You said quickly before we move on, like you said, uh, Tim about like DX stuff. He's not doing DX stuff. He's not mocking him or he's not condescending to him. He's just wrestling him. I think that's a big thing too. Triple H isn't yep. acting like that frat boy, like dick face. You know, he's yep. just, he's being very straightforward with it. So, but a really fun match, but, but I agree with you guys. Eventually we're going to have to see something soon or people are going to start to give up. All right. All that's left is our main event. Scott, tell us about the video package uh, or bill to take us to this match. All righty. Well, our final match is the other uh, singles uh, championship on the 10, six raw. Uh, Chris Jericho revealed he was put in charge of Raw with Mike Adamley being absent, and he showed off the scars from the latter match as he said he was done with Michaels, and Batista would interrupt him, and Jericho told him to leave only for Batista to give him the spinebuster. Jericho would force Batista to put his title shot on the line against JBL, with Jericho as the guest referee. Regal, uh, William Regal was the timekeeper, and Randy Orton as the guest com- uh, commentator. Batista would defeat JBL to keep his title shot, as it was announced, Batista would face Jericho at the pay-per-view with the fans choosing three uh, men as the referee. We'll get to that in a minute. On the 10-13 Raw, Jericho demanded Adam Lee call off the match, only for Adam Lee to reveal that Jericho and Batista would pick each other's opponent for that night. Jericho would plead to, to the McMahons to abolish the stipulation, only for Michaels to come out and attack Jericho. Jericho would choose uh, Michaels as Batista's opponent. And it would be a Lumberjack match with Jericho choosing the Lumberjacks. And the match ended in a no contest when the Lumberjacks attacked both men, though they would fight them off and shook hands. At the end of the night, Batista picked CM Punk as Jericho's opponent and made himself the guest referee as Punk defeated Jericho in a non-title match. On the 10-20 Raw, Jericho cut a promo as he demanded respect as champion, only for Batista to interrupt and say that Jericho would get respect if he defeated him, which he led Jericho to slap Batista in the face. At the end of the night, the two men would be forced into a gauntlet match as Jericho defeated Regal and Mark Henry, only to lose to Kane. Batista would defeat Kane to win the match. So your guest referees, special referees are Randy Orton at 4%, Shawn Michaels at 22%, and in a shock to absolutely no one, Mr. Special Referee all the time for, for Cyber Sunday main events. The uh, the the man, Stone Cold Steve Austin is back, seventy four percent. Yeah, you put Austin in it, he's winning. That's for sure. He's winning. It's 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 yeah. It's it's he did it the year before for take uh, for Taker Batista, and he does it here. So Jericho Batista, Steve is the ref. All right, Batista's back in the title picture as usual. This time uh, he's earned it here in the no way. He's been killing it up and down the card. Crowd is into it. Jericho's character reigns been impeccable. The lethal cerebral serial killer act. Jericho saunters out, staring out and soaking in the booze. Batista has his usual monster star entrance. He's all jacked up. Grisham reveals the vote. And out comes Steve Austin. Never a doubt. Gets a monster pop. Jericho's rubbing his head in dismay. 
He mounts the, at Austin uh, and then looks pensive as the bell rings and slaps Batista to get started. Batista comes with power right away and batters a champion. Jericho bails out, but Austin gets the mic and says if Jericho loses this way, he'll lose his title. So he comes right back to Batista smacking him around. Jericho knocks Batista outside and keeps banging into him. Batista gets his knee caught off the middle rope. Jericho goes on a quick assault. Jericho keeps working the knee back in the ring, kicking away and slamming it to the mat, then dismissively slapping Batista around and hooking a Cobra Clutch. Batista powers out of that, whips on a charge to the corner. The crowd is a bit out of it here, even during the Batista flash near fall. Jericho slowly works the knee as Batista keeps trying to punch back into things. The crowd feels a little split here as Batista gets a power slam. Jericho counters a Batista bomb into the walls, but Batista gets the ropes. Austin forces the break, pissing off Jericho. Batista powers through a tilt-a-whirl for two, but Jericho slips free. He escapes up top, but he leaps right into a Batista lariat for two. Batista gets a top rope shoulder block for two. Jericho keeps squeaking free and taking advantage of a bad knee. Batista bangs into Austin on a charge, walks into a code breaker, but there's no referee for Jericho. Out comes Michaels. It is a super slow count to mess with Jericho, and he finally just gives up. Jericho barks at Sean, who teases sweet chin music. Jericho flinches and turns as Batista hits a spear. Out comes JBL. He hits a clothesline from hell on Sean before he can count. Jericho takes out the knee as Orton shows up, and he takes out Austin now. He watches Jericho pelts Batista with the belt. He covers, but Batista kicks out. Austin pulls himself up. He barks at Austin to a pop, hits him with a stunner. Austin tries to stun Jericho, but Jericho pushes him away. Jericho turns and walks into a spine buster, and Batista hits the Batista bomb to win the world title. A pretty fun clusterfuck match, kind of a deserved ending for Jericho, even though you could argue it's a bit quick to take the belt off him. Um, but if you have him lose, doing it in this conspiracy-esque mess adds more fuel to his fire and his rage that he has going on. Uh, Batista felt a little bit off tonight. The structure felt clunky, and the crowd didn't really help as they kind of pulled it together late. The referee stuff was fun and well done. Didn't get too silly. Um, Batista finally gets his gold back after a long wait, Scott. So on three and a quarter star to wrap things up. Again, a fine match. Uh, the heat was on Austin, and, and all the referee stuff was pretty good. Uh, is it too soon for Jericho to lose? We'll see. But beyond that, just a fine match. Yeah, I liked it. It was fine. I gave it three and a half. Uh, 17.08 is your match time. Uh, sorry, 17.06 is your match time. Um, I did have a problem with one thing, though, and I can't believe I'm saying this. Uh, in the past, when we had these matches with special referees – normally there's not extra guys involved and you could put whoever you want in there. Like, again, we go back to the year before uh, at Cyber Sunday 07 when we had Taker and Batista and they picked, you know, and Steve was won the vote. Um, that was fine because it was just to the two of them. But here you've got all of these other variables. You've got Orton who wants his title back. You've got, um, or wants a title back. He's obviously... You know, the, the belts have switched shows. And you've got Sean, who, of course, hates Jericho's guts. Um, I would have put, like, another throwaway guy in there, like JBL. Uh, I think this is one case where having Steve in the vote kind of fucked the, the shit up in the match. Um, because I think we needed one of those other two guys as the ref. Uh, Jericho or Orton. Because I think it... I think it it, I think it would have made the match hotter at the beginning and told the story easier. I feel like you put Steve in there just so you can get a cheap pop and because you'll get a buy rate spike. Um, in this instance, I think kind of wrecks the match. And I think you mentioned it, JR, about the energy level kind of being a little wonky. All right, Steve gets the pop. Yay, Steve's here. Yay, he's in the match. And now what? You know, it's like, he's not going to stun anybody. Well, he, maybe he will. But I just feel like for once, 
adding adding Austin here kind of fucked shit up. I think it should have been Sean Orton or like JBL or some other whoever you you know for a fact you don't want winning, and they should have had Sean or or Orton or somebody like that. So that that's going on for the whole match, and not like oh halfway through and then it just. I don't I don't want to think I don't I don't think I'm overthinking it. I just feel like because this feud and because Jericho has so many variables around him, you got Sean who hates his guts, you want Orton who just wants his belt uh, wants a title back in this case this one because the WWE title which he had earlier in the year is on another show. Um and then you have Austin who's there because you, you need more buy rates. Like I, I don't know. I just feel like this was a case where Austin probably was it needed because you didn't need that kind of juice for this match, Tim? I think it should have been more focused on the guys that are in the in the storyline, and Steve wasn't. So obviously, so I would have stuck like JBL or somebody else in there that you didn't want winning, so you could put Sean or Orton there, and Orton could say, you know, like Sean could get jumped and Orton could ref the match or something like that. I just feel like the referee situation needed more storyline juice and just having snowfall there so you can get a cheap pop and when you find out he's the ref you know you get a few thousand more buy rates i mean in this instance i think that that kind of hurt the match for me yeah i mean it's pretty clear they're they're capitalizing on uh stone cold's drawing power you put him in there as an option of course he's going to win um despite the fact that is there a storyline reason for this it certainly doesn't feel like it um, I mean, they kind of try to paper that over by saying, um, well, you know, Austin's got some beef, probably, we think, with Jericho, because Chris Jericho has been running around for seven years, running his mouth that he beat uh, Stone Cold and The Rock oh, on the that, same that night. Yeah. Yeah, to win the Undisputed Championship. That's interesting. Like, I didn't think of that. That's interesting. But it's like, I mean, he's only kind of recently been saying that, right? Like, in this this heel run that he's had, and... I mean, it, it does add something to, to his character, um, but, I mean, how much does Austin really give a shit seven years later? I mean, it just, it's pretty thin. Um, I mean, at least it's something, I guess, but, yeah, it, it's thin. It's very obvious that Austin is just here to, to pop a buy rate, such as, if there, look, if there's one more person who's going to buy this pay-per-view because Stone Cold is on it, then, sure, throw him out there, right? Right. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of variables involved that perhaps shouldn't be. But to this match's credit, I thought that they went in knowing, knowing okay, uh, our special guest referee is going to be Stone Cold Steve Austin. Let's book around that fact the best that we can. And I, I thought they did. It's That finish is a totally overbooked clusterfuck, but in a way that I, I thought worked pretty well um, and one that I, I thought was more akin to like the, the classic ECW playbook. Um, so, you know, overbooking sometimes does a match a disservice here. I, I was just pretty entertained by it. Um, mm-hmm. the match itself is sort of ho-hum. Um, it's more mat based than I was expecting from these two. I'll, I'll give them that. And, uh, Batista Jericho is a pretty fresh matchup. I can't think of many, if any other singles matches, yeah. at least, High profile singles, yeah, between these guys. So we we get a pretty um, fresh match. Um, it's it's worked in a style I, I wouldn't necessarily expect. Um, I liked Batista's selling um, of the the lower body work that that Jericho does. Um, I liked how he, he's either 
um, prevented from hitting some of his big moves or severely hindered in the process of hitting them. Um, so some of his stuff, some of his offense comes off rather awkward, does Batista's, but I, I think that's by design. Um, and yeah, when we move into that, that finishing sequence with all the refs getting involved, um, I just sort of dug it. I, I thought it, um, it, it came off pretty well for, for being as overbooked as it was. Um, I don't know, like, does Jericho deserve better than this, what, two-month transitional reign as mm-hmm. champion right? as sort of his reward for working the best program of this entire year, maybe? Um, it, it begs the question, like, what is the big picture of this company right now? Like, what, where are we going? What's going to be the WrestleMania program? That's not... Everything feels so transitional right now yes. on this show, including the, the main event scene. So, you know, that that's kind of an interesting time period, um, interesting time capsule, I guess you could say. All in all, I thought that, you know, this was good enough for three and a half stars. Maybe I'm overrating it. But, um, yeah, this was a main event that, that maybe gave me more than, than I was expecting. I don't think I'd ever seen uh, this show end to end. I don't think I've ever seen this match. So I was, I'd say, pleasantly surprised here. All right. So that'll do it. Let's get to our awards and we'll wrap things up. MVP of the night. I mean, I I know everything you said, Scott, about kind of overshadowing and taking, but he still got the biggest pop. It was still the biggest star. So for me, it was, it was Austin. Oh, what, I mean, being I agree with you. I mean, being involved in it's fine. I'm just saying. I think in the grand scheme of things, it right. hurt the match, but he's, he's still Steve. I mean, he, he's on a show. He's there. So, yeah, I'm fine with that. I mean, I guess by virtue of the fact that, yeah, he does get the biggest pop by far. He's the biggest star on the show. He hits an awesome stunner on, on Randy mm-hmm. Orton. Yeah. Who, uh, to his credit, does an amazing oversell, goes flying uh, backwards from one end of the ring to the other. Uh, in a great spot. Yeah, we'll give it to Austin. <laughs> I mean, it's not really fair to everyone else on this show, but it is what it is. He's a star. Uh, LVP, I went with the Hockey Talk, man. I, I just, I thought this could have been really popped, like with all the Santino build and the story, and it just kind of sucked. Like, he doesn't do the guitar. He can't wrestle. Like, it's, it felt like kind of a waste of what could have been a fun little moment. 100%. Yeah, yeah I that agree. Sucks. I mean, yeah, I think the whole, I, I think that whole segment was was crap. Um, so, I mean, I could extend it to the whole IC segment, but I'll give it to honky cause he shouldn't have been in the vote anyway. <laughs> he couldn't do it. Unfortunately. I know I'm going to be alone on this one, but for batch of the night, I'm going, my favorite was on the taker show. I had it tied with Hunter and Hardy, but I just like Taker show better. I like the style that they worked. Uh, I'm going to, um, yeah, I'm a little torn myself. I'm trying to look at my grades here. Yeah. Three and a, uh, actually, you know what I'm going to go with? Cause just based on my grades, I'm actually going to go with, uh, Matt Hardy and, uh, Evan Bourne. I actually really like that match. Uh, right. Yeah. I thought it kind of, I thought it kind of came out of nowhere and surprised me. So for once the other Hardy gets my vote for best match. And I thought, and I thought the other two, I thought she take her show was great. Mm-hmm. All in all the matches as a whole were terrible tonight, but I'm going to give it to, uh, Matt and, uh, Evan Bourne. Well, we're going to have three different answers, gentlemen, because I am going to give it to Triple H Hardy. And in fact, um, in comparing my ratings between that and the main event, I both I gave both of them three and a half stars. I'm going to actually bump up Hardy 
uh, Triple H to three and three quarters. I think that is just shy of, of four nice. for me. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm talking myself up. Right, worst match, I think, is uh, this one we probably all agree on. That's Santino versus yeah, the Honky Tonka Man. Yeah, that was a mess. Yeah, three for Should three on happened. Dud there. That's pretty pretty bad. Yeah, it was rough. All right, best moment, I went with uh, Austin's entrance. Always is. Yeah, Always I is. mean, there's nothing else really jumping out. Maybe Victoria doing the peanut butter jelly <laughs> dance. <laughs> <laughs> so absurd. Um, and surprise of the night, I mean... I want Batista winning the world title. He choked so many times. Jericho had just won it. Is getting this big push. It actually really caught me off guard that he he won the world title. I, th- I think it was surprising. Um, yeah, because I mean Jericho, you know, comes out and uh, beats Sean in a crazy great match at No Mercy. Um, I was very surprised Batista won this match. Not gonna lie. I think it's a surprise by exclusion, but the the fact that Morrison and Miz versus Crime Time won the fan vote over what seemed like mm. at least one obviously one. better option yeah. there is it's kind of my surprise of the night. All right. All right, final grade. Uh, this is a good show, not a great one. I think it did kind of dull the run we've been on, which has been pretty hot. Uh, besides the shitty Saturday's main event, this is my lowest grade since Night of Champions, uh, which was back in what June, July. Uh, but still pretty good, good grade. I mean, six and a half. So that's that's still like a pretty solid grade here, and that's actually on the lower end of the OA pay per view. So it tells you how good this year has been. It's tied with both Night of Champions and Judgment Day for me as the the lowest rated of the year. Um, yeah, I. We've had a roll of great shows. This show wasn't terrible. I mean, we gave a, I mean, we gave a decent amount of matches, three stars. Um, some of the votes were a little weird. Um, and again, I, I, I didn't as much as I we gave I gave him two awards tonight because he did even I mean, he was there. Can't ignore him. Um, I again, I think Austin being in the main event kind of threw the storyline feng shui off. But um, overall, I enjoyed the show. It was fun. Crowd had some good moments. We get good matches. I'm going to give it a six and a half. I, I liked it. I, it works for me. Uh, I mean, in some ways, I, I thought this felt like a kind of a glorified house show where everybody's putting in effort, but they're sort of um, they're working smarter rather than harder. <laughs> I, I know that sounds very damning and it's not meant to be because these are um, very solid outings all around. I mean, yes, we did give one dud, but you throw that out and I mean, it's hard to find a match, you know, lower than at least like three stars. I mean, I, I wasn't as high on that that tag match as you guys, but, um, you know, it's, we have such a baseline of quality here and, and such yep. great workers. It's hard for them to dip below a certain standard, which it, it, and it's a high bar right now for this 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 company. So, um, I mean, I questioned if, if, you know, six and a half was too low, but. I'm relieved upon hearing that's kind of where you guys settled for this uh, pay-per-view as well. So, um, yeah, we're three for three, six and a half on, on this one for me. All right. That'll do it for Cyber Sunday 2008. Scott will be back in two weeks' time with Survivor Series 08 with a returning guest. Looking forward to that. And, of course, just about a month from now, we'll deliver our annual Christmas extravaganza. So stay tuned yes. for that as well. Check out everything we have to offer, all of our podcast networks, 
Everyone have a safe, happy, and healthy holiday season as we embark on the final month of 2022. For Tim, for Scott, I'm Justin. Talk to you later. Everyone take care. Don't be